All right, welcome guys. Good morning. I'm so glad to be with you guys. I get excited every Sunday when I get to be here with you, um, and I get to see you through the week a lot too, so that's awesome. But really, God said where two or more are gathered, He starts doing some work. Amen? And so we get excited about that because we're not about just staring straight ahead for an hour and then calling it quits until next week. We're about doing the life of living as a Christian and living as a follower of him and seeing the awesome things that come out of that. And my prayer would be that this would be a time where God can start something new in you or continue something that he's been actively working on and that this would be a small part of that. Um, but we've been going through a series that has been awesome um, called The Miracle of Mercy. And it's what's really cool about it is it's about, we said mercy is love in action. It's about living out your love for the world. It's about living out God's love for the world and what that looks like from a practical standpoint. Um, and so this week we're going to be talking about finding opportunities to share God's mercy with others. It's using every opportunity to be merciful. See, we're called to be witnesses, but, but when, you're, when you're called to share your faith, that can be an intimidating thing. When someone says you need to share your faith, you need to evangelize, you need to reach out, all of those are, are trigger words for some people. They're like, I can't do that. I'm not paid to do that. I've never been, you know, I didn't go to school for that. I don't know what that means. But when Jesus talked about reaching out to others, he called us witnesses. And when I think about a, what a witness does, I can do that because a witness's job is not to persuade someone. The witness comes up and their job is not to persuade the jury of anything. Their job is not to defend anyone. The witness's job is to say, these things are true, and I believe that if I tell you true things, then good will come out of that, or the right thing will come out of that. And so if we're going to be witnesses, our job is not necessarily to be the one that persuades people or to be the one that defends God. Our job is simply to tell the true things that he has done in our life, and, and trust that if we say the true things that God has done, then that will lead to amazing things. All the power is through him, right? I'm not the one who changes hearts. My job is just to tell the cool stuff that God's been doing. And anyone can do that. If you've been a Christian for five minutes, you can do that. Because I promise the journey you went on to get there alone is enough to teach someone about the goodness of God. Amen? So all of us can be witnesses. All of us can just share things. You don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to have the Bible memorized. You just have to have a story. And I promise you, you've got hundreds, right? You don't have to have like an epic scripted, you know, testimony. You just need to say, this is what happened to me when God got a hold of me. And, and people will be changed by that. In Ephesians 5, 15 through 17, it says, so be very careful how you live. Live wisely, not like fools. I mean that you should use every opportunity you have for doing good, because these are evil times. So don't be foolish with your lives, but learn what the Lord wants you to do. He wrote that 2,000 years ago. He could have written it yesterday, amen? Right? You tell me, is the world getting more or less self-centered, unforgiving, rude, divided, right? We're trending in the wrong direction, right? In, in society right now, there's, just, this is, there's more needed. Mercy is more needed now than it has ever been needed. And we are called to be those witnesses. In a mean world, our greatest witness is showing mercy. That's the, most, that's the greatest thing you can do to show what God's love is. God said, he talked to his church and, and Jesus said, the way that people will know that you're my disciples is by the love that you have for each other. Right? The action of love that people see in, in the body. In Luke 6.36, it says, show mercy to others just as your Father shows mercy to you. Jesus showed us what mercy looks like. And when you live out that mercy, it stands out because it's unusual, right? Thinking about someone else more than you think about them yourself 
is a weird thing in this world. That's an unusual stance. And when people run into it, it's, it's, it, draw, it draws their attention. It's something that's amazing. And so um, I want to look at, we're going to start off by looking at some principles of mercy, and then we'll talk about what we're looking for when we're trying to show it. But before we look for people to show mercy to, we better understand what we're trying to do and, and the mindset we need to bring to it. And the first thing that we need to do when we're trying to show mercy at every opportunity is we need to start looking and listening for people's needs. Right? Mercy starts with awareness. You cannot show mercy to someone that you don't even recognize, that you don't even see, right? that you just pass by and don't give a second thought to. And so if we're going to show mercy, it's got to start by looking and listening for people's needs. In Philippians 2, 4, it says, look out for one another's interests, not just for your own. We talked a few weeks ago about the number one thing that gets in the way of us showing mercy, and that's our busyness. Right? When you are always on to the next thing, when you're always moving from one thing to the other, and you just pass by a bunch of people, you'll miss a lot of opportunities that are right in front of you. Um, there's a story of a, a young man who comes to Jesus in Mark 10, and he, he's just trying to figure out where to go next. He's trying to figure out what the next steps are. And so he goes to Jesus, and he says, what do I do? Like, how do I have eternal life? And Jesus, it says in Mark 10, 21, looked at him and loved him. And that's a profound statement. You can just treat that as a throwaway verse, or you can understand Jesus looked him in the eye, and he loved him, and those two things are attached. Attention is an act of love. It means more than any number of gifts. It means more than any act of service, because when you give someone your attention, you're giving them a little piece of your life, right? This span of my life is completely devoted to focus on you. And when you do that with someone, even in small ways, it really makes an impact. There are so few people throughout the day that make eye contact with you, right? That's just a rare, you just pass by so many people without ever looking them in the face. You could go a whole day and interact with hundreds of people and feel completely anonymous, right? Anybody who's worked a register has felt that, right? Like you just go through and you are a prop, right? You are just this thing that I have to interact with in order for me to get to the next thing that I have to go to. And so there's, there's something to looking at someone and expressing love that way. And the only way that we're going to show real mercy and love to people is if we pay attention to them, if we don't treat them like, if you're a gamer, like an NPC, right? Like they're not just like this computer thing that you have to go on to to the next quest. And I'm a dork, I get it. But like you, ha you have to see people as people in every interaction. And you never know, 99% of those people are going to be weirded out and break eye contact and get out of the way, Right? But every once in a while, you're going to lock eyes with someone, and you're going, to, you're going to listen to what they're saying, and it's going to make their day, and they're going to say something to you that they wouldn't have said to anyone else because you're the first person to look them in the face in a week, right? There are people starving for that, and you can be that person who gets to have that relationship with them if you initiate it, but you cannot be so important to yourself that everyone else just kind of fades into the background. You've got to get out of yourself a little bit and, and see people for, for who they are and see people's needs. The second thing we need to get straight if we're going to show people mercy, don't be repelled by their sins. You don't show, people are messy. Grace is messy. Grace is unconditional. And we don't, we're not looking out for everyone who deserves it most to give it, right? We are, if you are giving out grace, you are giving it freely to everyone, regardless of whether you feel like they deserve it in the moment. And honestly, we do that because the one who showed us love taught us and reached us when we were the least deserving, right? When we were the least desirable. You cannot freak out when people who are broken and hurting do broken and hurting things, right? Nothing will shut down a relationship faster than someone finally sharing that thing they were afraid to share 
and your look of shock hits your face, right? First of all, you've seen it before. Calm down, right? Like it's, we've all seen stuff, right? Like it's not that bad. Um, and second of all, that everyone's got their stuff and we've got to be able to accept and take in stride and love on the people that, that are messy. You don't show grace to people that are doing everything right. They don't need it. Grace is for the ones who are doing the things wrong, right? Grace is needed when people come in and they say all the wrong things and, and they hurt you left and right and they don't show up when you make time with them and they, right, they just, they, they are difficult to get a hold of, difficult to break through with. Those are the people that we're showing grace with. Right? And those are the people we need to embrace the most. Jesus intentionally spent time with those who were the most rejected and least loved in society. Right? Jesus made time in his schedule. How many of us are booking time for the undesirables? Right? How many of us are booking time for going to people that we are uncomfortable with, that we wouldn't normally spend time with, that, we are, um, that get overlooked by the rest of the world? How many of us were that person and someone booked time for me and that's what changed my life? right? Somebody booked time for you. Somebody made time for you. And that was the first step. In Jude 1, through 23, it says, show mercy to those whose faith is wavering. Rescue others by snatching them from the flames of judgment. There are still others to whom you need to show mercy, but be careful that you aren't contaminated by their sins, right? Showing mercy doesn't mean I have to join in, right? To show mercy to someone who's a drunk, I don't have to go get drunk with you, Right? I don't have to go and do all the things you're doing. I don't even have to say that everything you're doing is okay. Right? Jesus never looked at someone who was living in sin and said, get after it, you're fine. Right? That's not in Scripture, you're not going to find it. But you know what he did? He still spent time with them. There's a difference between acceptance and approval. And Jesus accepted everyone, even if he didn't approve what they were doing. And he would tell them he didn't approve of what they were doing. And they still wanted to spend time with him right? Why would you want to spend time with someone who told you what you were doing was wrong? They must show a lot of love, right? It must be clear that they love you desperately and would do anything for you, right? Those are the only people I let tell me that what I'm doing is, is, is a mess, even if I know it is, right? The, he didn't approve of it, but he was, he was there with them. In 1 Peter 4, 8, it says, most importantly, love each other deeply. It says, love has a way of not looking at other sins, Right, that, that your mess-ups are not the thing I see when I look at you. And isn't that our biggest fear? Right? Isn't that your biggest fear that you know what you did? No one else may know or everyone may know. But either way, your biggest fear is that that thing you did, your most shameful moment is how everyone's going to look at you from that point on. And that'll be what defines you. That's everyone's fear. And if you can look past that and prove that you're not looking at that, it's going to make a difference. And Ephesians 4, 2, it says, be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. There are more important things to focus on than getting upset about how someone treated you, right? That you are not the center of the universe, and the person that just hurt you, that, the fact that they did that to you is not the most important fact in your life right now. It shouldn't be. We need to overlook that, to look past that and realize, if you are hurting me, that's coming from somewhere, and I have an opportunity to treat that one of two ways. I can write you off or I can engage and I can look for a way to do something different, right? I can look for a way to be an agent of mercy, a force of mercy in your life, no matter how frustrated I am with your choices. Here's a principle that we need to get, that the church as a whole desperately needs to get because we have driven so many people away with this. Don't expect unbelievers to act like believers until they are. Don't go to an unbeliever and say, that's not what the Bible says. 
right? They never signed up for it, right? Why are we expecting them to do things according to God when they never said they would? That's not fair. It's frustrating for them. It doesn't make any sense. It's frustrating for you. It's not the way to go about it. Don't expect unbelievers to act like believers. They, this should be obvious, but we forget. It is not fair to hold someone to a standard that they haven't agreed to follow. And in fact, the Bible says that real change comes from a relationship with God. They may not even be able to change. Right now we're judging them for things and getting on them for things that they're not, they don't even have the power to get past. I tried to get past a whole bunch of stuff in my life, and I had zero success until God got a hold of me and gave me the support to do it. Right? And so who am I to go to someone else? What could be more frustrating than to go up to someone and tell them do better without giving them any of the tools to do the job? Right? If we're going to love on people, if we're going to show mercy, if we're going to help them get better, you better provide them with a foundation of love before you start calling them out for their stuff. Right? We need to start with love, start with mercy, start with acceptance. The other stuff has to come, but it's got to start with the acceptance first. You can try to make laws. This has been tried. Let's make laws to enforce morality, right? Let's, make, let's write some laws where everyone has to do these things that Jesus says. It doesn't work because laws have never changed anyone's hearts. It may restrict the behavior, but if you want to change hearts, there's only one way to do that, and that's a one-on-one -on -one relationship with God and our participation in that and our help with that. That's the only way you're going to change hearts. Look at Jesus' example here in, in Matthew 9, 10 through 13. It says, that night, Matthew, who was a tax collector, invited Jesus to dinner with his fellow tax collectors. And we may not be super excited about tax collectors, um, but in this time, it was a whole different deal because these were Jewish men who would take money from Jewish people to give it to the Romans, right? These were the scum of the earth. No one wanted to be with them. And so Matthew invites Jesus to this dinner with his fellow tax collectors and many other notorious sinners, Right, because they had to, the undesirables had to hang out together because no one wanted to be with them, except for Jesus. And the Pharisees, the religious leaders, were indignant. They said, "Why does your teacher eat with such scum?" They asked. When Jesus heard this, he said, "Healthy people don't need a doctor; sick people do." And then he added, "Now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to be merciful, not offer sacrifices. For I've come to invite sinners to me, not those who think they are righteous." Right? He doesn't say the righteous, I didn't come for the righteous, just the, those who think they're righteous, because all of us are sinners. All of us fall short. All of us, if you think you don't need Jesus, you're the one who's in the wrong, right? Like, you're not the one who's got it figured out. That's, you need Jesus more, right, if that's your mindset. Jesus was not at all worried about what other people thought about the company he kept. He wasn't, that wasn't, he didn't want to hang out with certain people because it looked cool. He didn't want to hang out with certain people because it would raise his status or give him perks, right? All he cared about was, I, had, I see the need. I've looked you in the eye. I see the hurt. I'm going to be with you. That was the, the, all of the math for Jesus. There was nothing else in the equation. I see the hurt. I need to be around the hurt and love on it. That was all he cared about. And so he wasn't freaked out. He wasn't repelled by their sin. If I'm going to show mercy to people, number three, I need to choose my words carefully. I need to choose my words carefully. I cannot just say whatever I feel like saying. If you are trying to show God's mercy in this world, you can't just say stuff. You've got to be deliberate with what you're saying. You've got to act like you are always a representative. You ever had like coworkers or maybe been that person, right? You're one way at work, and the second you punch the clock, you come out and you start talking completely different, right? 
It's, you have control over that. You understand how you, every time it's hilarious to me when people are like, I just can't stop cursing. And then I like see them for eight hours of their shift and they're fine, right? And then all of a sudden they get off the clock and they're like, you know, sailor mouth, right? Like you can control it. We have to think about, but you have to choose to control it. In Colossians 4, 6, and I'm not just talking about, you know, primarily I'm not at all talking about cursing. I'm talking about the, the content of the words that we say. Colossians 4, 6 says, when you talk, you should always be kind and pleasant. So you will be able to answer everyone in the way that you should. Right? Are we always kind and pleasant? I am not always kind and pleasant, I promise you. Right? But we have you can shut more doors by what you say than what than what you realize. People pay attention. They hear what you say. They hear what you say to them, and they hear what you say to other people. Right? And so when you're at a table with some, you know, some church family and you're just talking about stuff, people hear that. And when you say stuff that's not appropriate, and then you hand them a church card after, you better believe they are never darkening your door, right? We need to think about the words that we say and, and use them wisely. It is really how, it's easy to fall into the habit of being sarcastic and putting each other down all the time, right? That's like the main form of humor right now, is anytime someone says something wrong, is just shoot them down for it and, and get the props for that. You don't have to do it. There are really clever things that you think of that never need to hear the light of day. Right, it's okay to keep some of those to yourself. And I'm guilty as charged, right? Like I'm first offender. Right? One of my, one of my most I've told this story before, one of my most profound experiences with Lynn um, was sitting in a meeting with him and him turning to me and saying, Adam, shut up. I was like, I needed that so bad because I stopped talking. I'm like, it got real quiet. Like I was filling a lot of space there that really didn't need to be filled. Right? It is okay to just keep quiet and wait until you have the next encouraging thing to say. Right? Some of the advice we got when we were three was really good. Right? If you don't have anything nice to say, just don't say anything. We forgot that somewhere along the way, right? or we never learned it. We need to get back to our roots on that one. Right? That's, a, that's a powerful thing. In James 3.17, it says, The wisdom that comes from heaven is pure and peace-loving and gentle at all times and willing to yield to others. Wisdom is full of, of mercy. And if you grew up in a very sarcastic background like I did or, or where that was a normal way of interacting with each other, sometimes you got to pray for wisdom, right? Sometimes you got to pray, God, teach me a different way to look at people, to interact with people, because I don't even have that vocabulary, right? I don't even know what it is to reply to something without anything else in it. You know, I just need some help with that. And God will teach you there. But as you read the word, you see it's full of gentleness, full of wisdom. Number four, if we're going to show mercy, we need to value saving people over keeping rules. Saving people needs to be more important than keeping rules. This is so important to the heart of God that you find it all throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. Over and over and over again in the Bible, God talks about the importance of people over following rules. At one point, Jesus and his disciples are walking and they're passing through a field of grain, and they're really hungry, and so they pick some heads of grain off, and they're eating them like a snack. And, and they get to their destination, and some Pharisees, some religious leaders, see them, and they're like, why were your followers harvesting on the Sabbath, right? There was, you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. That was one of the laws, and so you weren't supposed to harvest your fields. And Jesus is like, chill, it's snack time, right? Like, it's not, it's not that big a deal. They're not trying to violate the commands of God. They were hungry, and so they got some food. Calm down. Right, And so we just need to be aware, Jesus again and again, when people are trying to stick to rules that 
that were meant to do one thing and have turned into something else. Jesus is like, let's calm down. It's okay. You know, if, if, you know, in here it's fine to bring in drinks, but let's pretend like you weren't allowed to bring drinks into here. If a guest comes in, you don't knock the drink out of their hand, right? Like, chill. It's okay. Like, they, you know, they need something to drink. It's all right, right? I've, I've heard of churches where, you know, I've had friends who've, who've brought friends to church, and someone came up and took the hat off their head and threw it on the ground and said, we don't cover our head in the house of the Lord, right? Calm down, right? If they are coming to church to meet God, you're good, man. Don't worry about it. I'm not, I'm not coming for you. You're not alone, <laughs> It's not that big a deal. It's really not that big a deal. There are things that are a big deal, right? If you hear your brother defaming the name of God, let's talk about that. Let's pull him aside and let's address that, right? If someone wears a hat in the building, we're okay, right? Let's just love on the person. Let's show some mercy. If they come in and they're wearing something that maybe isn't what you would have picked for them, right? If they come in and they use some language that's not ideal, we bring people into our home all the time, And a lot of times they use language that maybe wouldn't be what I would pick for my kids to hear, right? Calm down. You teach on it after, you explain, and there's so much power in sitting down with them and saying, look, not everyone was raised in the home that you were. Not everyone was loved in the way that you were, right? There's some people who've been through some stuff, and if you went through it, you'd talk like that too. And so our job is to love on them with everything we've got. And their language is the least of our worries. Let's, Let's work on their hurt. Let's work on their lack of friends. Let's work on their, their vulnerability and their, their inability to share their personal struggles, right? Let's deal with that, and then maybe the language will come later, right? Let's, pri- let's prioritize here. In Matthew 23, 23, it says, Jesus, again, is talking to the Pharisees. I'm picking on them, but they're a pain. He says, you Pharisees are careful. You're so careful to tithe 10% of every part of your income, right? So they would, they would, every offering they got, if you gave them like a bagel, they'd cut a tenth of the bagel and offer it to God, right? Like everything they got, they're like, I'm going to give a tenth to God. They never missed anything. But he says, then you ignore more important matters of God's law, justice and showing mercy and faith. Yes, you should tithe, but you also shouldn't neglect the more important things. Right? He, de- he, does, he tells them you should tithe. It's good to give to the church. It's good to give your offering and, and sacrifice. But if you can't do that and then treat people like garbage and be like, nailed it. Right? Like it doesn't work that way. Like just because you gave money and have a building named after you doesn't mean you're following the will of God. Right? The will of God is that we seek mercy in the lives of the people around us and we chase them down. That's what God is all about, and that's what Jesus was all about, and we never want to forget that. Jesus didn't come down to this earth and said, I came down here to straighten you guys out, right? That is not what Jesus said. Jesus said, I came to seek and save the lost and hurting. That's what Jesus was about, and we never want to forget that. So every week we take communion, and we share in the meal that Jesus shared with with his disciples, and he said, this is my body. You don't even understand this yet, but this bread that I'm breaking is my body that is broken for you, and this this wine, this cup that we're drinking from, this is my blood poured out for you. And what I want you to understand when all is said and done is there is nothing I wouldn't do for you, right? There is no little rule I wouldn't break. There's no, there's no social impediment I wouldn't cross. There's no prejudice I wouldn't overcome. There's nothing I would do, wouldn't do to save you. And because Jesus feel, felt that way about us and did that for us, we want to do that, feel that way about others and do that for others. So we take communion, not just to remember what he did, but to take it inside us and remember that we're to do that too. So let's pray. We'll take communion in the back and then we'll come back together. Father God, um, you have shown us what mercy looks like. You've shown us love in action. You showed us 
at a time when we were your enemies. Father, when I was living and making choices that hurt me, that hurt the people around me, um, when I said outwardly, I wanted nothing to do with you, you sent people into my life on a rescue mission. And when I rejected them, you sent more. And when I rejected them, you sent more until I finally got the message that you love me too much to let go of me. And Father, you've done that for so many other people in this room. And I pray that we would surrender to that love, that we would see that it is so much better to live for you and your way of love than it is to live selfishly. So as we take this remembrance of, of what sacrifice and mercy looks like, may we emulate, in our, emulate it in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so if we get this, if we're going to show mercy to the world and we get these concepts down, that we, we listen and look for people's needs, that we're not repelled by their sin and we accept them, that we choose our words carefully and then that we um, value saving people, people over keeping rules, um, what are we looking for? Who are we looking for? Who are these people? When we get this mindset right, who are we chasing down in these situations? I'm going to give you a few. We're going to go through these um, quickly and, and talk about, but I, I'm going to go through them quickly here. But what I would love for you to do is, is take this home with you. Think about this before you go into work on Monday, before you start your week. Think about this list. And, and put down your targets and think about who you're, you're looking for and let God reveal those to you as you go through your week. So the first kind of people we need to be looking for to be an agent of mercy is we need to look for people who are in a crisis and listen to them. We need to look for people in a crisis and listen to them. When people are in crisis, when they are going through something that is wrecking their world, a lot of times their greatest need is, is just for you to care enough to listen to what's going on. Right? It's, that's a lot of times that's enough. That's a big step in the right direction. So many pass by the hurting because it's awkward to engage. It's awkward to step in. You don't know what to say. But Jesus was never afraid to step in. And in Matthew 9, 36 and 37, it says, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Right? When, when we look at the hurting and we say, that's too awkward for me to engage, Jesus says, I wish there was 10 of me because I want to go to all of them. Right? I, I need to reproduce enough of me so that all these hurting people have someone to go to them. And that should be our mindset as well, right? that we cannot wait to get to those who are hurting, even when it's awkward. Jesus was never so busy with his own stuff that he missed what was going on around them. He saw the need and, and he wanted to help. And you know what? You don't have to have the answers. In fact, Sometimes it's better if you don't have the answers, right? Sometimes the last thing people need in the middle of a crisis is for you to tell them how they need to handle it, right? Sometimes the best thing you can do is just go up and hear them and love them and say, I'm not going anywhere. I don't know what this looks like for you, right? I don't know why this is happening, but I love you. And, and this is how God got me through it. And I'm going to stay with you until you figure out how God's going to get you through it, right? My way through grief isn't necessarily going to look like your way through grief. Right? I don't know what the next steps are for you, but I know what this step is. I'm staying around. Right? That's a big step. If you'll look for people who are in crisis and you'll listen to them. We need to look for people with unmet needs and help them. Right? Be aware of what's going on around you. When you see someone who's about to skip a meal, make sure they get a meal. Right? When you see someone who's about to not go to something because they can't afford an Uber, right? then maybe you give them a ride. Be inconvenienced for someone else's benefit. Right? Do something inconvenient so that someone else can have a good experience. Look for those with unmet needs and help them. In Romans 15, 2 through 3, it says, Each one of us needs to look after the good of people around us, asking ourselves, how can I help? Right? How often do we walk into a room and say, how can I help? 
right? That's our, my, my wife, we always talk about her, her biggest thing. Kaylee, what's mommy's favorite question? Is there anything else I can do to help? She knows she's embarrassed. All right, so sorry. I didn't prep her for that one. That's on me. I'm, I apologize. I love you. Crystal's favorite question in the whole world is before you sit back down, you say, is there anything else I can do to help? My year three and on in marriage went way better after I learned that, right? It was, it was so much better after that. There is, it's so much love is expressed when you tell someone, your needs right now are more important to me than me going on to the next thing. Is there anything else I can do to help? That's a powerful phrase to say to anybody in your life and to show them their priority. Jesus made time for the people around him, even when he had somewhere else to be, right? He cared enough to help. That was a priority for him. We need to look for people who are grieving and comfort them. People suffer losses every day. People lose jobs. They lose loved ones. They lose finances, right? They lose all kinds of things, and there is no loss that comes without grief and pain. Every loss comes with some kind of grief and some kind of pain, and we need to be looking for people who are going through those. We aren't immune to grief. In, in 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 4, it says God comforts us in our troubles, right? He's talking to Christians there, right? Christians aren't immune from it. Everyone goes through troubles. It says God comforts us in our troubles. Why? So that we can comfort others who are in trouble with the same comfort that we ourselves have received from God. We can't not share our comfort. Right? We, we, got, we went through pain. We went through loss. We go through pain all the time. And God picks us up on our feet and takes care of us and mends our wounds. And because he comforted me like that, I cannot help but comfort others with it. It would, it would be insane for me to keep that to myself. I can't do it. I've got to find others and I've got to share. And that's why we have outlets for that. That's why we have small groups. That's why we have healing as a choice and and anger management, and wounded heart, and all these things that are, are groups that are led by people who've been hurt, and been through traumatic losses, and, and found healing in them, and said, I want to help you heal, right? I just want to share the comfort that I've received, but you've got to go looking for people that are hurting in that moment, and not just say, man, they were a jerk today, right? Let's, let's think about, man, maybe there was something behind that. Maybe they're hurting. Let's think about that today, and if you'll have this list in front of you through the week, it's going to filter the way you look at people, I promise. Look for people who are needing friends and show them hospitality. Look for people needing friends and show them hospitality. Initiate with those who look like they may not have the tools or experience to start a friendship. Right? Bring them into your circle of friends. Bring them around. Start the relationship when it looks like they can't. In Romans 12, 13, it says, look for opportunities to be hospitable. Hospitality was a lost art before COVID, right? Now it's on life support, right? It, when you invite someone into your home that's not like a sibling, right? It is looked at as bizarre. I have had people question my motives just outwardly and say, why? Right, I'll say, can we have dinner sometime? Can you come over and we'll have a family night? And the number one response I get is, Why? Right? Like, that's weird. It's weird that you want me in your home. I could rob you. You don't know me. And now I'm like, never mind, right? Like, I'm, well, think about this. No, like, it's, it's strange to, to bring someone in like that. But what I love and what I tell them over and over again is that God, everything God gave me, he gave me my family, my home, my, my friends, everything he gave me, he gave me to share. None of this was just for me, right? All of this is for me to share, and, and so I'm going to share it. And I'm going to look for, I'm not going to wait around and, and hope someone knocks on my door and asks to come in. I'm going to go find people and I'm going to bring them in. Because Jesus didn't wait around, thank God. 
Literally, right? He didn't wait around for me to come knocking. He chased me down. And so I'm not going to wait for people to knock on my door. I'm going to find them and I'm going to say, I would love for you to come to a family night. And if your question is, what on earth is a family night, right? I'm going to say, come in, you're going to have a good time, right? It's going to be awesome and we're going to have a great time. One of the things I love in Matthew 25, 31, it says, I was alone and you welcomed me and showed me hospitality. I love that I can bring friends in here and watch them get closer to other people in the church than they are to me, right? I love that. I love sharing my friends. I love that, that I have a community where if you come in, you're not going to talk to one person. You're going to talk to like 20 people, right? You're going to have to tell the story over and over again. If you bring your dog and she's adorable one time, everyone will ask you, Marquise, where in the world is Bailey? Where is she, man? Right? Like <laughs> the whole family wants to know because she's part of the family now, right? And Marquis has been here a minute and a half, right? We love Marquis, but he's in your family. We love, you are, you are valuable to us, right? And so you are going to be embraced, and I love that. We need to look for, that is too good not to share, right? We need to be bringing other people into that. Other people need, when I tell people I, I have to pick between babysitters, right, because they're all arguing over who gets to share time with my kids. They're like, that is insane, right? You don't even pay them? I'm like, there's times they bought dinner for my kids, right? Like they paid me to go on a date, right? Like this is, this is awesome, right? Like this is, who has that? The, the reason that we have that is not because we've figured out the special sauce. The reason that we have that is because we are loved and forgiven by God and that has profoundly changed our hearts, amen? And we, we don't relate to each other the way that we used to. And we need to share that. We need to share that with the people around us. We need to look for people who need a second chance. Look for people who need a second chance, who other people are like, no, you're done, right? The, the one in the office who's burned all their bridges, right? The, the one that, the, the member of the family that just, you cannot stand to be around. The one that, that feels like, if you feel like they're, they've kind of burned up all their options, think how they feel, right? How are they feeling right now? And for God, there is no such thing as a lost cause, amen? He's never heard of it. It is, it is natural to be super aware of our own mistakes and failures in our own broken relationships and our own past hurts, and they can leave me feeling worthless and beyond saving. And you have a power in you to change that narrative, to, to show them something different. In 2 Corinthians 2 7, it says, When people sin, you should forgive and comfort them so that they won't give up in despair. When you hear someone say, if I walked into that church, I'd burst into flames, right? When you, when you hear someone say, um, you know, I, I don't even know who I can talk to. When you hear someone say, trust me, you don't even want to get into this mess, right? When, they, when they're talking about their lives. When you hear people say that, that should be a trigger for you, not to run the other direction, but to, to step in and say, I am not afraid of your mess. Because anything that you are going through is, is happening to you whether I step in or not, and so I better be here for it, right? I cannot leave you alone in that, right? I, have, I serve a God, I am loved by a God who will not let me walk the other direction when I hear things like that. And it is powerful to say that to people. We need to look for those who feel like they've burned all their bridges. For too long, the church has been a place where sinners were afraid to enter, and we need to be a place where it is their best chance to get a second chance. We need to be a place where you can walk in the door in whatever state you're in, and, and be welcomed in, and not be told necessarily that everything you're doing is awesome, because it might not be, right? If you're like me, it probably isn't, right? But to be accepted and loved and welcomed in, and, and to have a group of friends 
that say, we're with you. We'll figure it out. If you're willing to walk with me, I'm willing to walk with you. Right? That's what we need to be looking for. And then finally, we need to look for people. And I left this one for the eggs. You were hoping I'd forget about it. We need to look for people who are rude and be kind to them. Right? You have to fill this one in. I'm watching. Right? Fill, write this down. Look for, actively seek out people who are rude and be kind to them. In 1 Peter 3.9, it says, Don't repay evil for evil. Never retaliate when people insult you or say unkind things about you, even if your comeback is really good. Right? That's not in Scripture, but it could be. Right? Like, it's, just don't do it. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God wants you to do, and he will bless you for it. Now, that doesn't mean that when someone's a jerk to you, say, I'm going to pray for you, man. Right? Like, that's not what I'm talking about. Right? That means, that means when someone's been harsh to you, then you make a point and you say, every day this month, I am going to make eye contact with them, and I'm going to say, how are you doing this morning? And if they don't say a word to me the rest of that month, I'm still going to do it. Their reaction has no bearing on how I do it. I'm just going to continually go up to them. I'm going to look them in the eye and say, how was your day? Right? How are you doing? Or, man, I hope you have a great night when you're walking out. Just, I'm going to do something to initiate mercy with this person. I'm going to honestly wish them well. I'm going to pray for them every day. I'm going to pray, and I'm, I'm going to pray that God would soften their hearts, that he would give me a chance to be kind to them, that he would give me the heart that looks on them with, with the eyes that Jesus would look on them. I'm going to actively wish them well, and, and not just in a vague sense, but I'm going to actively do things that make a difference. I'm going to try to make a friend out of them. That is the definition of mercy. It is unearned forgiveness and undeserved kindness, and it can change lives. It is really cool. We talk about being an agent of mercy. It is really cool to be an agent of something bigger, right? Like special agent, like you've got a background mission. And there's times where people will ask me, right? I'll take them out to lunch or I'll do something with them. And they're like, what's in this for you? What's in it for you? Right? Like, what's your motive? What are you trying to get out of me? And I will tell them, I absolutely have a motive behind this, right? My God has loved me and I love you and I want to share the things that I've gotten. And that is super weird for people to hear. But it's the only thing I can say. I do have a motive. I'm not going to tell them I don't, right? I'm not just going to be like, yeah, we'll see how things pan out. Just was hungry, thought you might be too. No, like I'm going to tell them. Like I, I wanted to get to know you. I, I think it's cool to get to know people and share my story and share your story and, and get to know you better because people did that for me. Even if it's weird for people to hear it, it lands. It lands. And they may not come back for the second lunch. They may never return your call again. But it is worth it because there's going to be a bunch that do. There's going to be a bunch that are affected by it and are changed by it. And that's where the real change happens. In Hebrews 6.10, it says, God will not forget the work you've done and the love you've shown him by caring for and helping other people. God will take every small effort you make and he will make something big out of it. Right? That's what he, he says. If you have faith that's that big, he will, he will do powerful things. He'll move mountains with it. And there are things that people have not been able to overcome for their whole lives that they will overcome, not because of you, but because your small act of mercy opened the door for God. And that's where the real power is going to happen. So let's look for those opportunities. Take this list with you. Look at it through the week. Think about it when you go into work. Think about it when you go throughout your day, when you interact with your family, your friends, whoever, and look for these people and then go to them with the mindset that we've talked about. And I promise you changes are going to happen. Amazing things are going to happen. And you're going to have that many more stories to tell as a witness for God. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father God, you have been relentlessly good to us. And, and we want to be the ones that share that. And I pray that we would be brave 
Father, that we would be selfless like someone was brave and selfless with us. Father, none of us figured this out on our own. All of us were brought to you, um, led by the hand of someone who loves us. And I pray that we would be that hand for someone else. Father, if, if for anyone in this room that is not in your arms right now, that, that doesn't have that relationship with you, I pray that you would invite them in and that they would receive that invitation and they would give up the, the self-destructive things they've been doing and, and acknowledge that there's a better way to live. Father, give us the opportunity um, and the boldness to take advantage of the life you've called us to. In Jesus' name, amen.